You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and fully loaded chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. We have another killer episode for you today. We're going to be talking with a gentleman named Jay Hale from Massachusetts. Now, Jay is a, a hardcore bow, bow hunter, like most of us are. He has to juggle family with work. Um, but, you know, and I think this is a trend that we're seeing. Unless you have to go to a factory, unless you have to actually go someplace to do your job, um, if you're like me, and you sit in front of a computer all day, a lot of us are working from home. Well, when we work from home, we don't always, quote unquote, work from home. This opens up some opportunities for us to get out and go hunting more or go fishing more or just be outdoors more. And I think a lot and I think the outdoor industries kind of felt that uh, in the past two years because of the pandemic. Um a lot more people picked up fishing license, hunting license. Uh, a lot of the hunting gear and equipment uh, companies saw really good growth in the past uh, uh, couple years. But why, why I'm saying that is Jay Hale here, uh, the guest on today's episode, actually got to uh, hunt more because he's been working from home. So uh, he also works for Harvard University in Massachusetts. So that's uh, a first for this podcast. Uh, now I can say I'm credible because I've had a guest from Harvard on uh, on this episode. With that said, though, this is another great example of ups and downs and, and fighting, you know, hunting pressure on public land, coming up with a plan to, you know, flank this, this pressure and then getting a second chance at uh, an animal once, you know. Once uh, it's all kind of been, you know, you got some really shitty vibes 
and then how those vibes can instantly turn hap to happy vibes in just a matter of a couple days. And that's what today's episode is about. He shares uh, an up and down season with us. He shares some goods, some bads. Um, he talks about strategy. We talk about pressure. We talk about public land. We talk about, um, you know, not getting it done in the archery season, but staying with it going back out and uh, getting it done during the gun season. So uh, that's what today's episode is about. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. Man, I tell you what, we're battling uh, here in this house. In the last two weeks, three weeks, we've been battling like sickness, right? Not really knowing what it is. You know, my kids have been sick, snotty nose, you know, coughing, hacking. It's that time of year. It's always been this time of year. My wife tested positive for COVID, so we can't go anywhere uh, right now. I'm, I feel, I'm pretty sure I have it, but I, I don't feel like I have it, right? My, my lung capacity is a little bit lower, but I don't feel necessarily sick. I feel tired, but I'm always tired. I have three kids. They wear me out. So that's what's going on. Haven't been able to get outside or do anything. Uh, I had to go to the ER the other day for lower back pain. I was in so much pain. I actually had to have my wife pick me up, take me to the, like not pick me up, but like use her as a crutch to get to my truck. I drove to the emergency room. They gave me some shot uh, and gave me a pill and then they gave me a prescription and then the back pain went away and I've been stretching it out and, and doing a whole bunch of things with that. So I wish I could sit here and say, oh, dude, I've been out scouting or I've been checking trail cameras or I've been trying to locate a, uh, a late season buck. But instead, reality has hit and I'm doing none of that. And I'm just basically working. Um, you know, obviously, my my uh, uh, my chance to go to the ATA show was flushed down the toilet because she tested positive. So I, I made the adult decision to back out of that. And now I'm in my office cranking out podcasts and, and just working, uh, trying to follow the momentum of how good everything's going. So that's what's going on in my world. We have a really good episode today. So uh, once again, I'm going to do some, uh, where are we at here? All right, we're right here. If you haven't had the opportunity to check out these, these particular brands, please do so. Hunt stand, one of the most popular, most affordable, most functionality hunting apps on the market. 20% off SN20. Um, some more information coming about uh, here pretty soon about Lone Wolf. Uh, Wasp is uh, still a brand. They're still kicking ass. They uh, uh, Their broadheads destroy anything they touch. And uh, I love using them. Awesome brand, awesome products, awesome people. Discount code for 20% off. The number nine followed by the word fingers 2021 nine fingers 2021 and then ozonics man i'm telling you right now if you have not dabbled in the o the ozone generator uh, the o3 uh generator type area you need to you need to go to ozonics uh website you need to read up on all the functionality of their units how o3 impacts not only your clothing outside of the hunt but while in the tree or in the blind during the hunt and i'm telling you you use that product the right way i just wish guys could could see how this how this impacts my hunt it is one of those things where it's just i would pay twice 
knowing what it can do, I would pay twice of, of what it really costs. And um, so there's that free dry wash bag with the purchase of any one of their, their units, NFC21, look into that. And then again, uh, the other products, uh, Vortex Optics, they're the title sponsor here. Absolutely great, uh, you know, great brand, great pe people, great products. Uh, they're getting ready to release a whole bunch of products over the next handful of months. I'll be sure to uh, get that information on the Hunting Gear Podcast. Exodus trail cameras. Why? Because they work, period. That's all I want is my trail cameras to work. And then uh, Excalibur crossbows. If you're looking for a crossbow, uh, look no further than Excalibur. They have, I mean, how do I put this? They have one of the uh, most tenured brands for crossbows in the hunting industry. 30 years of experience, 30 years of dedication to their, their clients and their customers. So check out Excalibur Crossbow if you're looking to pick up a crossbow. Um, that's it. And uh, commercials are done. I got to pay the bills so I can keep doing this. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day to listen to these podcasts, man. Really appreciate it. And uh, I'm going to be trying to do something here to uh, get, you know, maybe do some giveaways or products uh, here this winter when I'm not out doing things and uh, get you guys feeling like you're, I don't know, feeling positive. I'm going to do some positive things. And uh, now I'm just rambling. So let's chop it. Let's get into today's episode about high pressured public land hunting strategy tactics with Jay Hale of Massachusetts. Three, two, one. All right. On the phone with me today, all the way from Massachusetts, Jay Hale. How we doing, man? Oh, we're doing great, Dan. Thanks for the invite. Good Christmas. Oh yeah, pretty much. Yeah. No one got COVID. So that's plus <laughs> uh, my, my son, I got a two year old at home. He got plenty of toys. He's super psyched. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was a great holiday. How about yourself? Oh, you know, uh, holidays are always good. I come from a split family, so mm -hmm. I have a lot of Christmases to go to. <laughs> I, we've already done one, two, three of them. I have one more this upcoming weekend. So the, uh, the calories are on, the gifts have been given, and uh, we got one more to get through, and then I can say, okay, enough. No more cake in the house. No more no more candy in the house. Just get it out because I'm that guy who eats everything. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I mean, I just walked in. One of my um, one of my in laws gave my son like those lint chocolate balls. He's two. He's not going to yeah. be able to eat these things, so they're sitting on the counter. And I've I've pretty much tried to swear off all the all the sugar, but my my wife's fallen on the candy sword because we don't want our son to have that. And yeah. Uh, so yeah, she's she's in that boat. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. How many kids do you have? Just one. Just and the, I think it's going to stay that way. Okay. Well, I tell you what, <laughs> I tell you what, that's not bad. You've done your job. You've yep. provided another life to this universe. But, um, <laughs> but I'll tell you this, the one kid, uh, it, like I didn't know my daughter. I, I didn't know my house was like, when I bought my house, I was like, Oh my God, we have so much space. We have so many things. Then I had a kid. And then even after one kid, she got so many toys that were like, okay, well, we have enough space for overflow. Let's just put it in the basement in this in the in the basement living room. Okay. My son comes along. His room gets full up. All right, well, let's just put it into the overflow. And I have another kid. Put all the gifts into the overflow room. And now my overflow room damn near needs an overflow room because <laughs> my kids have too many damn toys. 
Oh, man. Yeah, we don't really have that basement living room either. So uh, we've got the one kid, and he's got two sets of Thomas the Tank Engine train tracks. We just bought him one of those little jogging trampolines that kids love. He's got matchbox cars, blocks all over the place. So it's like we've got him, and with the Christmas tree still up, but we have no room. So he's like, yeah. I want to set, I want to move my train tracks. Like, buddy, the train tracks are still in the, staying there until the Christmas tree is gone. So yeah. you're just going to have to deal. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. What do you do for a living? So I am a book editor for a very small college in Massachusetts that most people have never heard of called Harvard University. Okay. So you actually, you're that guy. You're, yeah. Wow. That's cool. I think this might be a first to have someone from Harvard. (laughs) Like all of a sudden I felt some pressure, like some academic pressure on my shoulders for this episode. Like, oh my God, I have to be professional. I have to be precise. I have to be precise. No, 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 Dan, I'm one of those people who kind of, I don't know how the hell I got hired. Uh, I, I, I am, I am like, I'm the complete opposite of Harvard, but somehow I ended up in there. Yeah. And I just got to, it's one of those scenarios where you got to keep your mouth closed and your head down and, and not cause any waves. So yeah. Well, that's uh, crazy. That's, that's, yeah. What does a book editor, I mean, obviously a, a book editor, I mean, seems pretty self-explanatory, but what does a book editor do for Harvard? Right. Okay. So the type of books that I edit, um, so when they do class reunions, we do class reunions from like five years out to 70 years out. And each class and each person in that class has the opportunity to write like a biographical update for these books. So I'm one of the editors of these books. So we do like 14 books each year uh, and I edit three of them. So I do one of the, like the biggest books in the class. I do the one for the 25th reunion, which is like the second biggest reunion that they do, uh, you know, of importance wise. So you kind of get to talk to very interesting people from time to time and, uh, you know, it being Harvard and stuff. But it's, it's a good job. Um, it's, uh, I enjoy the work and my, my direct team are really, really cool. And uh, the, the reason I kind of gravitated toward Harvard is because, it, you know, I got hired during the recession and Harvard's been there since, you know, the mid 1600s. So it ain't right. going anywhere. And uh, the benefits there are, oh, buddy, they're yeah. so good. That's, <laughs> so, that's I mean, good. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, between the Harvard not leaving anytime soon, even, you know, it's pretty recession proof. And the fact that I now get six weeks of vacation time a year because I've been there 15 years. Uh, pretty sweet. I think uh, deer season and turkey season are pretty well covered. Yeah, well, that's awesome, man. Uh, that's one of those jobs yeah. that it's almost like I don't want to leave ever, no matter how bad it gets, because of the the amount of vacation that you get. Exactly, exactly. And uh, and to make matters better or worse, I've been working from home for the past two years. So, nice. <clears throat> yeah, and I listen to a lot of podcasts while I'm at home and. Um, I, I've heard from a certain nine-fingered gentleman that during the rut, the best thing to do is be in the woods and when you're working from home and nobody's really watching you. Right. You know, sometimes, sometimes you you're sneaking into the woods almost every day for yeah. a couple hours here, a couple hours there. But but that ended up being kind of a bad thing because I think it's um, you know, over the last couple of years, uh, I've kind of got more in touch with with my with my faith i had like some upheaval in my life and wanted to get back into being a catholic which is how many people in massachusetts back in the day were raised and um 
when you go to confession as a Catholic, one of the things you're supposed to do is a, is a um, it's called a uh, examination of conscience. And you kind of go through and you examine your conscience, see all these ways that you've sinned and all the bad stuff you've done. And one of the things that pops out is, have I given a full day's work for a full day's pay? And during the uh, <laughs> during the pandemic, that was a that was a tough one. That was one that I wasn't actually holding up my end of the bargain. And it it started out be like, oh, you know what, I, you know, I'll go out for two three hours here. I'll just make that time up at night, or I'll make that time up on the weekend. And then you know, as November rolls around, it starts accumulating and accumulating, and you can make up an hour here, but then <laughs> like your wife and kid needs you, so. You're kind of getting behind the eight ball, and I think it's, you know, the good Lord putting the kibosh and making my seat. My last two seasons have been very, very difficult um, because he thinks he knows. I think the Lord knows I'm slipping and yeah. not working as hard as I should be, and, I'm, you know, i gotta, yeah, I got to get back on the good path here. Yeah. Next thing you know, you, yeah, owe, you owe about uh, to that uh, – you know, to that time you say you're going to make up, you owe about 200 hours <laughs> and you're just like, exactly. Oh, not making that up. Yeah. Be like, but next time I'll get on top. <laughs> but of next that. time. Right, right, right. Yeah. But so, I mean, yeah, it's tough. Cause yeah, there's land all around me that I can just pop out and scout or pop out and hunt. And yeah, uh, yeah so it's, it's, it's tough. <laughs> well, I mean, I tell you what you could, you could, it's funny how in confession you can weigh your sins. Like, you know, obviously, I don't know. I've never had to do a confession because I'm not Catholic. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure yep. that the person you're giving confession to, uh, the preacher there, would say, you know, if, if I said, well, I walked into a room and I murdered seven people. Okay, well, that's <laughs> a really big sin. Okay. Or as opposed mm-hmm. to... Well, I I slacked at work today and I was on the clock, but I went out and celebrated God's creation while I was out there. I was I was I wasn't I wasn't maybe being truthful about, you know, doing all the work, but I was out there celebrating creation. So, I it's almost like how you spin, if you want to say spin. Exactly. It's how you spin it. You can frame. It's all in the way it's framed. Yeah. But yeah. Right. So, um with all that said, then I kind of want to lead into this 2020 season. Um, you mentioned already that uh, the last couple seasons have been pretty difficult. What, in your eyes, has made the past two seasons for you difficult? I, I don't. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I, because there's there's some tried and true spot. I like to. I hunt almost exclusively public. So, you know, when I go in there, I'll see other dudes, either their tree stands or I'll bump into them. So I'll be like, okay, okay. Or I'll have, I won't find success in these spots. So I'll branch out. There's a lot of really cool small parcels all around me. So I think I, I try and find too many spots. I like to have like two dozen, a little more than two dozen trees prepped before the start of the season. And I think sometimes that's spreading myself too thin. You don't want to rely and overhunt one tree in, in particular, but if you're always bopping around from spot to spot to spot, you're not really taking the time to kind of learn that. So if you go in there and you try it once and you're like, ah, this sucks, I'm out of here, I'm going to go try some other place, then you don't really get a feel for, you know, how that how the deer move through that area. Maybe it's just on this wind they're not really going through here, or maybe yeah. it's a morning spot, not an evening spot, or vice versa. Yeah. So I think I've just been kind of popping through too much, but the spots that or kind of more, you know, old faithfuls, those I've had the most sightings at. 
Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll go back to it, but, like, I don't like to burn out spots. You yeah. know, I always want to kind of keep moving. Like, your, your mantra when it comes to being a mobile hunter, even though I don't, um, you know, I don't have, a like, a, a lone wolf hang on like you do. I just mostly use a climber, and I do have some set stands here and there. I, I don't like to hunt a spot, like, more than three times. I think that's yeah. just... Um, that's when I, I, I run into like just the real staleness of that spot. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, last year, you know, I wasn't seeing a whole a lot of deer. I saw a few, um, Massachusetts is pretty good. We have, it's, we're a two buck state and, um, in the area I hunt on the Eastern side of the state and there's a lot of deer here. So you can buy, uh, doe tags and up until this year, they were five bucks. So you could buy a doe tag for five bucks. Uh, for one zone, come back the next day, buy a couple more. You know, you could always buy like one a day until they run out. So I was, I had, I think I had six tags last year, and I think I had seven tags this year. And it's like the more tags I accumulated, the fewer deer I would see. Yeah. So it was just like that thing. I was constantly in the woods, constantly buying tags. I'm like, I'm gonna hunt all the time because I'm working from home. I'm gonna get a shit ton of tags, and it just. It backfired. Yeah. Uh, on Halloween, uh, Halloween last year, uh, I took a shot at a spike, <clears throat> and uh, and it, it, I thought it was a good shot. I ended up getting it in the gut. Um, I had to babysit my kid at ten o'clock in the morning. I took the shot at nine forty-five, so I made a push to try and track it as fast as I could. Yeah. And then uh, you know I had to come back at eleven, wait, tracked it all night, um, caught it mid coyote. Coyote was biting its ass. I caught it while I was still alive, and uh, and had to uh, had to put the deer down after hours with my knife, which isn't always a great feeling. Yeah, I've been and, there. Uh, yeah, so I mean, and that was it. I didn't see anything gun season. The gun yeah. season was super slow last year, and this year got off to a bad start um, with hunting. Had a, uh, some decent encounters, but. You know, I saw I was I, I started to try hunting from the ground a couple of times this year with one of those ghillie suits because that looked fun, and uh, you know I just underestimated how much the deer can see when you're moving and trying to be cool and peek back to see if they're which direction they're yeah. coming. So, spooks a, spooks a couple of deer uh, of does early in October, and then in the rut uh, I saw one monster buck sneak by me on one of my uh, old faithful stands, and uh, it was already past me. I tried to rattle it back and it would shake a tree, but it never came back to me. So the archery season was kind of a bust. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, you mentioned something there that is something that I always struggle with, and that's how how much time to actually give a spot. You mentioned that, you know, you would bounce around, but you felt like, you know, you were mobile, but you felt like mm -hmm. you you were go, you'd go into a place, you would say, ah, there's nothing here, then leave. And, but, and you would really never see deer cycle through at any point right. and man i tell i'll tell you this there was a couple years um i don't know if you remember if the listeners remember but there was a couple years ago i was chasing an absolute giant 200 inch i think it was 2018 just a non-typical freak like a, a a 10 mainframe 10 by uh, 10 or a, a five by five with just junk all over his i mean 200 plus inches great giant buck and I, what I was, was the name of this one, Dan? Uh, I forget what I call them. Uh, oh. I, uh, man, I can't believe I, I, I mean, I chased him for two years, and yeah, and anyway, big giant deer. Uh, the last couple, uh, a couple years ago, and I, I was bouncing around all over the place, 
And I look back on that season, I said to myself, man, I don't think I gave some of these spots enough time to circulate the deer through. And I was going in and out, Mm -hmm. in and out. When I should have been going in, setting a stand uh, morning, evening, and maybe morning again or afternoon, morning, afternoon again, just trying to see what was coming through that area. And and then you you're, you walk that razor's edge and you have some of the stands that I have uh, and I was dealing with this year where it's like, man, this is a good spot. Deer funnel through here. But if I come hunt it f- three days in a row, I just feel like I'm ruining everything mm-hmm. by, by mm-hmm. coming through. So it's always that razor razor's edge, uh, I feel like knowing when when to hunt and when not to hunt but um or how how much time to give an area so with that said then you know like last year was rough this year's archery season uh was rough like going in after coming off of a rough season like you had last year like what was your mindset and did you have any additional goals coming into this season so yeah i would say my goals last year after the uh, after the 2020 season, I, I wanted to do more. I'd always felt like I did a decent amount of um, of end of the season hunting. You know that like post is a pre shed, but before they drop, when you're just kind of like walking around, I usually do that. I'll, I'll go rabbit hunting or something because the, the rabbit season in Massachusetts goes um, to the end of February, so I'll usually just kind of bring my shotgun, not see any rabbits, and just you know look around for, you know, the sign from the previous year. So I did a lot of postseason scouting last year, but I think because the pressure in the 2020 season made the deer do different things than they, they had previously in the previous few seasons I had hunted because there were a ton of people in the woods, not only because, you know, there were more hunters. Uh, I mean, Massachusetts saw a big spike in hunters because people weren't at work. So there were a lot of people out in the woods, but there were also like a ton of people out bird watching in these yeah. same areas that I hunt. The turkey season was a complete cluster from them. But, you know, so I was looking and I was, you know, doing all of the, like you're supposed to, kind of going in, checking out the snow or right when the snow melts before the green up and kind of marking trails, checking things out. So I marked all of this stuff. And, you know, so I found these areas where, deer were coming off the WMAs I like to hunt and going into private where you can't hunt. And I was marking all of those. I found some really cool crossover trails. I'm like, okay, I can find a trail here that I can access either, you know, walking through the swamp and being undetected and yada, yada, yada. But I always like once September hits our season, we have an early archery season for the Eastern, like the Eastern quarter of the state, uh, which is where I live. It starts the uh, the first Monday in October, um, but the areas I like to hunt most of those start the the second week of October. So once September hits, I rarely go in any of the areas I like to hunt. Uh, this might be something I change starting next year, because you know listening to some of the conversations you've had with Tony Peterson and some of his the other conversations that he's had on his own podcast, you guys have stressed in season scouting. And that's, that I think was the key for me this year, which is why, you know, once archery season ended, I finally got on some deer because the deer had kind of reverted to their old trails, the ones they used to use for everybody and their mother was in the woods because of COVID. So they kind of went back there. So I started thinking about, okay, okay, all this 
stuff I found in the winter, it didn't end up using this year. And since I wasn't in the woods in early October and September because I was scared to get my scent all over the place, I didn't know that. So I was going off last season's information, not really the most recent information. So once I started doing better in-season scouting toward the end of uh, November, that's when I started bumping into deer. Mostly bumping deer, but at least bumping into them and seeing them. Yeah. So that that was super helpful. Yeah, and I'll tell you this, um, and what you said is very important because based off of my experience, when 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 you're going through some kind of process, right? And this is kind of what led me to change my process. You know, somewhere around 2014, um, 2000. You know, between between 2006 and 2014 were really like this growth period for me when it comes to hunting strategy somewhere around 2014 2015 it it kind of clicked for me and knock on wood i've been successful every every season since then but um but what i what i'm getting at is like i was doing the same thing over and over with with some kind of strategy and i was failing but i wasn't realizing that what I, my process was wrong. Like I needed to change something, but I wasn't changing it. Um, so I, mm-hmm. I just would be like, oh man, uh, better luck next time. You know, that's hunting, you know, kind of thing like that. And I wasn't, I wasn't absorbing the fact that what I was doing was wrong. I, I just was under the assumption that, oh, whoop, the deer just didn't come by today. And well, guess what? They didn't come by the last time I was here or the last time I was here or the last time I was here. So I had, it, it forced me once that once I had that mental click to get up, move around, do some scouting, hang some trail cameras in some different place, look for fresh sign, do all that stuff, and then, you know, mobile, move into those areas, and that's when my encounter started going up, and that's when, um, you know, my success started going up. And I know that this year, you, that didn't start for you until the end of November, Did and you said you bumped deer. Were you able to capitalize on on that right away and say, okay, well, I bumped deer. They're signing here. I need to get in here and uh, hang a stand. Yeah, kind of, but the wind, the, the, when I bumped deer, it was always because I was just like the wind changed on me in a place that I, so yeah, it was mostly, most of this information like ends up being where, you know, the story I'm going to eventually get to. It, it all yeah. kind of takes place in this wildlife management area. So one thing I was noticing, in years past, I had walked on this upper, it's kind of like a, a series of ridges. It's a, um, it's a flood control center, so it's like there's like a, a water body at the bottom that blows out all the time. So there's like a series of ridges. Um, and I'd always walked, regardless of the wind, I'd always walked on the topmost ridge because that's the one that gets the most pedestrian traffic. And I've been doing that for years. And I've never really had a problem with it. Um, I'd always seen deer in the past uh, walking on that trail. But for some reason this year, every time, regardless of the wind, if the wind was in my favor, if the wind was in the deer's favor, if I walked on that trail, I wasn't seeing anything. So toward the end, um, when the wind would change, I'd be like, you know what, I'm going to try walking along uh, as low as I can go where my wind is blowing over the water. You know, I, I think that the, the path down there isn't all grown up as it used to be. So I'm going to kind of take that, take my time and go that way and just not give them a chance to smell me. And once I started doing that, even though being lazy in the past had worked, it was working so much better this time. So I would be going out and, you know, I'd either have the, the wind 
carrying at like an angle or straight away from where I expected the deer to be coming. So as I did that, you know, I'd be walking around doing some in-season scouting because where I thought the deer would be, I don't know what happened. I think they just stopped using those trails because either um, they used them because of the pressure previously and I'm going off old sign or it's just the trails were just so easy. Any dumb old hunter could find them and they're getting, they were getting pressured this year, even though I didn't see anybody out there. So once I kind of threw a little bit of a curveball to the deer, you know, I, I was out there mid November. Um, and was mostly when I was walking two areas to set up, you know, I'd bump a doe here. I'd bump a doe in bedding that of these pines that had grown up over the last three years. So I was like, okay, all right, I'm going to start putting this together. So if I do this with this wind, they're coming from this angle where I'm totally not expecting them. So that was that, that, and like, it was starting to come together for me at the end of November. And then like one time I was just the day before I had hunted down on this ridge and I looked up and like, Oh, this could be a good spot to hunt for a gun season. And, you know, of course I stand up and silhouette myself and down in the middle of the field is a friggin' deer staring up at me splits right down the area where I had been sitting the day before. So it's like, it was just crazy. It was like that week in November, I was seeing deer, but I couldn't see them when I had my bow in my hand and an arrow knocked and in my stand, but it was starting to come together. Like I was starting to put the pieces together, um, slowly, but, uh, but, but just not fast enough to, to capitalize. Gotcha. All right. So then, you know, you're, you're getting in there you feel like you're trying to figure it all out. You get, it sounds like you got busted a couple times. Um, mm-hmm. Archery. It's not, okay. So archery season then comes to an end, right? Right. Okay. And it is then the, the November 29th, which is the gun opener, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. So did you go back to that same area and set up a new stand or did you go back to that area and set in the same stand that you had from uh, that you got busted from when you uh, silhouetted yourself. So this was a little bit further south uh, from when I got busted. Okay. So this this tree this tree that I that I set up in, I'd actually you know kind of going when when I set up I think it was on November nineteenth I'd set up in a different part of the at the very top of the creek bottom. I set up there and nothing came through and there was still tons of tracks tons of sign but I'm like this. This doesn't make any sense. The deer should be coming through here. I'm doing something wrong. They're not coming down the way I thought they did when I blew them out the year before, and this was their escape route. Something switched. So I remembered from a couple years earlier seeing some rubs in the postseason down as close to the water as I could get. So on November 24th, I cut out on work even though my boss was emailing me as I'm trying to walk into into the stand, I sat in this one tree that I just kind of found. It was like, I usually don't do hanging hunts because it's public land. There's tree branches all over the place. It's really tough to kind of get in there that morning or that afternoon and set up a stand and be able to shoot from there with a bow. But I did find it. I found a tree that overlooked a couple of trails. It looked like there was some food over there, some green briar, and it was pretty adjacent to uh, bedding. If there was a north wind, the wind was blowing out onto the water, and you're uh, downwind of bedding. So I thought it looked pretty promising. So I sat there from like eleven o'clock to three o'clock. Uh, three o'clock. It, it wasn't like a you know a 
wasn't a great afternoon, but I just wanted to kind of almost use it as an observation fit. And I thought it looked great. The access, if I started being smarter with my access and not lazy and using kind of other hunters' scent and noise, I think I could get the deer to funnel to this tree. And when I looked at the wind predictions for the gun opener, I said, all right, this tree, this tree is going to work. So I went back to that one on the 29th. Okay. So you, uh, um, now when you walk into the woods, were you being fluid in your decision-making or did you already have that stand set up? No, I had a climber on my back. Okay. So I was just going to go in there and I was going to get up in that tree, uh, angle it where I thought the deer. So what I was expecting was everybody to do what I normally would do and take the lazy man's route into their stands. Most of the stands are north of where I was setting up, probably about two to 300 yards north. Um, it's just an area where, you know, anyone can walk in quickly and quietly. It's all, it's like an all gravel pedestrian trail and any, and it's, you know, the wind would be blowing from their stands into the valley, you know, the Creek bottom area. And I knew like his gun season, a lot of the dudes who only hunt, they only hunt this first week. Um, those stands stay up all year and they were just, and their scent was going to blow into this Creek bottom. And if the deer caught this scent, they were going to end up right in my lap. Okay. So you get in there. Was this, did you go in there on a morning hunt or an afternoon hunt first? On, on a morning hunt. Okay. Yeah, most so, of my hunts are all morning hunts. Yeah. Okay. So morning hunt, you get in there, you, uh, you, you don't take the lazy man's route. Uh, you, yeah. you, you focused on your access. You got into the tree. Sun starts to come up. Uh, how long did it take before you said to yourself, man, I, I think I made the right decision or were you seeing deer immediately or did it take some time for them to, to move through? Yeah. Well, I first, I thought I, when I sat in that tree, it just was like one of those feelings you get when it's yeah. just like, oh, today feels deary. Yeah. Today feels good. It's just one of those, I mean, the wind was blowing perfectly. I, the access was perfect. And then it was about 20 minutes before legal light. And I think legal light that day was like 632. I got into the parking lot at like 420 something. So I could just, I think you've called it either Peter Panning or Tinkerbelling your way into the tree stand where you just take those tiny little slow steps and try not to make any noise. I wanted to, just, I wanted this access to be perfect. Yeah. I wanted to take my time and get there, be up in the tree, be quiet. And about 20 minutes before legal light on the ridge across me, that ridge that was about 300 yards away where, you know, everybody sets up and those permanent tree stands are there. I just see, I see my first headlamp and I'm like, dude, 20 minutes, you get in here 20 minutes before legal light. What are you doing, buddy? And he's just going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Like, and the guy's got full, like 500 lumens, Cyclops headlight, (laughs) headlamp going and he's just going back. He can't find his tree stand. He's going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I'm like, buddy, you're killing me. You're killing me. I'm like, well, maybe this will work in my favor. Maybe the deer will come down this way. And then eventually his light goes off. And I want to say it was probably like just after daylight. Uh, like, uh, not, yeah. So it wasn't quite legal light. So just around. I think seven o'clock was, was sunrise. So it was just after sunrise. I'm looking out 
and I see two deer kind of walking almost on like a, it's not a levee, but it's in the creek bottom. It's like a, it's just a, a little lump that the deer can kind of get above the water and the debris and all the junk that's down there. And I just see about 100, 125 yards out, just two nice bucks just rolling through. And I was like, okay, all right, we're in the chips. This is working out. They just got to come this way. I mean, because they were just in the middle. And that it was so thick down there with just old growth trees and just like young scrub that comes up and just like all sorts of just gnarly stuff. Everything like the briars, the whole nine. So those two bucks come through, through, and then like a couple minutes later, two more bucks come through, and they're going west to east. And I'm like, whoa, it's like a four bucks traveling together. This is odd. And then a couple minutes later, one of the lone bucks rolls back from east to west, right in the kind of angling up toward where all those tree stands are, and around seven fifteen. You just hear, boom, 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 <laughs> boom. This four sh- I mean, I, I think, I'm not 100% sure. I'm still looking into it. I, I thought your shotgun during deer season was supposed to be plugged. So, you're, you know, you're, you're supposed to just be able to use three shells. This dude cranked off four, and I'm like, huh. And then five minutes after that, a buck comes just jogging right toward me. And I'm like, okay, that dude missed with four shots. Okay, let's see how this goes. So I'm trying to be still and not get the buck fever. And he's coming, and he's coming at a pretty good clip. So he, there's not really a, he wasn't taking a set trail. He was just kind of forging his own path. And he was came across like a swampy bottom and was heading off over into that bedding area. And once he got maybe 20 feet more toward my right, I wasn't going to have a shot. So before I was even set, I gave him the old meh to, to stop him. And then I threw my gun up. And I know you don't shoot with, the, you don't hunt with a shotgun that much anymore. But you probably remember from when you first started hunting. This was only my sixth or seventh year hunting. And I threw my, my shotgun up with a, with a scope. And my eye was way too close to the scope. So you get that tunnel oh, yeah. vision thing where you, you can't see a damn thing. So, you know, I'm trying to back it off immediately, and I fogged up the glass, so I hit it with my thumb, and, I, you know, he's still standing broadside at just over 40 yards, like 40, 45 yards. And uh, I pull the trigger, and I thought I saw him take, like, an extra step. So I pull the trigger, boom, and I hit him. And he flops over, lands in the puddle, and starts kicking. So usually I've only taken two other deer with a shotgun. Usually the slug goes right through them. They take off running like a bat out of hell. And then like 40 yards behind you, 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 you know, you find them. So I see this and the thing just drops and starts kicking. Like when, you know, a deer's about to die, kick, 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 kick. Yep. And you've seen the Back to the Future movies before, right? Right. All of them. All right. Okay. So, you know, in the third one, where Buford Tannen shoots Marty McFly in that shootout toward the end of the movie. Yep. And he shoots him, drops him with one shot, and then starts doing that little, like, kind of celebration, like, hey, I'm a badass. Yeah. Shot him with one shot, and he puts his gun down, he takes his eyes off the prize. This deer's kicking in the puddle for five seconds. Kick, kick, kick. I don't even think of clearing the gun. I don't think of racking another, another, you know, shot shell. And then the deer stands up. And it just shakes off, 
like it stubbed its toe and starts walking toward that bedding like nothing happened. And completely across its vitals is this 20-foot-long white pine bough. And I can't even think about taking another shot. There's no, the follow-up, there's no follow-up there's, shot available. No. And if there, I was just shocked like this deer was a zombie. And I just got up from the grave and started walking off. And that, like, while I just, I am shit when that happened. I, yeah. I thought that thing was down with one shot, and there it is, walking off. Like, bye-bye, buddy. Could and you like, see any blood from the, from the shot at all? Uh, well, I didn't see any from the stand. And the pair of uh, binoculars I had at the time were garbage. So it's like uh, only like half of it worked. So there was no way. I tried to zoom in to look. So I was up there. I saw him walk off. I tried to mark where he walked off to. And, uh, you know, I just sat in the tree for two hours. And I'm like, okay, it wasn't the best shot, but it knocked it down. So that's going to be worth something. So I'll wait two hours. I'll probably find this deer in 90 yards. No problem. So I'm thinking about, oh, you know, am I going to butcher this one myself? How am I going to get it out of here? It's, you know, almost a, a mile and a half deep in the woods. Um, you know, does my GoPro sitting in my car still have batteries in it? I'm just thinking about all this, like what I'm going to do with this deer. And then uh, I climb down out of the climber, walk over to the impact site, no blood, like a couple strands of hair. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> and I'm looking and I'm looking. And usually with, I don't know if it's just a me thing or a shotgun thing, but usually when... I shoot a deer with a shotgun. There's like no blood for the first 30 yards. It's crazy. Like you'll usually find a big clump of hair from where the, the slug went through, but I don't usually see immediate blood like a, like a bow shot. So uh, I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm circling through and I finally get over to the bedding area, which is mostly like a dry grass bedding area. And I find some blood. It's not a lot of blood and it's, it's, it's bright red, but it's watery. And I'm like, all right, what's going on? So I start marking a blood trail. I'm following and following, following, and I'm getting nervous because it's petering out quick. And it looks like there's a spot. Okay, the deer might have stopped here. There's a little bit more blood than usual. But then it got up, and it's just like a drop here. You know, 20 yards later, here's another drop. And then there's a little bit of a drop, and then it sat down again. And then there was hardly anything. There was like a piece of coagulated blood, a smudge on a sapling, another smudge on the sapling. And then the deer went through a puddle, uh, like, you know, an eight foot wide puddle. And, uh, and then it, it got together with the rest of those deer from that morning. And it was just like a myriad of tracks all yeah. through the mud. And I just, I just started following all of them. And uh, I wasn't, you know, just in case that day didn't pan out and there was a bunch of dudes in the woods or someone blew up my spot by kind of walking through that area trying to do a drive. I brought a pair of hip boots with me to kind of cross through another part of the swamp to go to a place that most people don't get to hunt. So I had hip boots with me. And, you know, after I searched and searched and looking in blowdowns and underneath logs and I just put on my hip boots and started checking islands in the middle of the swamp. And I looked for that deer for six hours yeah. and like once I, I, I once it crossed that puddle it was gone so there was i found tracks yeah but i didn't know if it was that that particular deer or not so you were you went from following blood 
the blood stops. So you were almost grid searching at that point. Yeah, yeah. pretty much, pretty much. Just yeah, I was not a not an effective grid because there was just so much water and it was difficult to just kind of find landmarks and grid. I just was just meandering around just because I remember the the first year I ever took with my bow in 2017. Um, that was another cluster of a, of a track job. And I, that was my first deer I ever made contact with, you know, with an arrow. So there was no way I was letting that one escape. And, uh, I found after the blood trail dried up, I eventually found it, you know, embedded behind a blowdown and then just passed away. And, uh, so I just kind of took that experience and just started searching, 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 and just couldn't find anything. So you searched for six hours that day. Uh, did you go back the next mm-hmm. day and, and give it another try, or did you say, "Hey, man, if he made it this far, he's not dead"? Yeah, that's what I figured. I mean, with the lack of hair and the like, the blood almost immediately drying up, and just tracks and tracks and tracks everywhere. I said that I must have just just grazed it under the brisket or something. Um, so yeah, I, I mean there was not a lot of blood at all. Gotcha. Um, I think I think I've bled more with some gnarly paper cuts than what this deer did. So I mean it wasn't, I wasn't concerned, but I was I was upset because you yeah. never want to wound a deer, um, especially that one. I mean forty five yards with a shotgun should have been a should have been a gimme. So you know I just kind of going back and just kind of you know prayed on it. You know yeah. I, if this if I don't find this deer let this deer survive and I'll meet it another day. Yeah. You know, just, you know, just let, it was a beautiful deer. I'd hate for it. Cause one thing with, with fur prices being garbage and some, <laughs> some rules they passed last year with the hunting of coyotes, like the coyote issue on the Eastern part of the state is just, it's abysmal. Like I had that run in last year where a coyote was actively eating the deer I was tracking. Um, and then I, that, that year, last year, a buddy of mine hunting two miles down the street from my house shot a doe, went to get it the next morning, and it was nothing but, you know, ribs and a head. Uh, the coyotes will just get anything. Yeah. And, uh, and I was just like, when you wound a deer, that's all you can think of. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but I thought I had high hopes for this one. I thought it was in good shape just because there was, like, hardly any blood. Yeah. Man, I tell you what, I, I've – every time – I, how do I put this when it comes to after the shot? I've watched deer drop in sight with liver hits. No, no mm-hmm. longer heart, but all liver. I've watched them, you know, go through the liver and they bled out in like, it was a double liver shot, right? Broadside, smoked them a little back, hit the liver, uh, maybe a little diaphragm, probably maybe caught diaphragm. They ran mm-hmm. 40 yards, fell over dead. I've double lunged whitetails that bled like crazy and went three quarters of a mile and, and survived. Right. And you're following Mm -hmm. good blood the whole time. I've also double lunged deer and there was no blood. And I had, I found them after grid searching for however many, you know, for however many hours into the next day. So it's one of those things where I don't, um, I don't, say I'm successful. I've learned my lesson, man. Unless I see him drop in sight, I, I, I go, Hey man, this deer isn't dead until I touch it. And it, mm-hmm. it sucks. Like it is, it, it sucks when you see a deer, maybe go over a ridge or a hill, you think it's a good shot. And then you start second guessing yourself and you're like, Oh man, what, 
what did I do? What did I do? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and this was the first deer. Um, I think this was this. Yeah, I think this was the first. Yeah, this was definitely the first deer I never, I, I, I didn't recover. Yeah. So I was just like, oh man, and like I've had a couple, couple of gnarly track jobs. Yeah. That I, you know, I had to, I had to bust ass on. You know, one, one was the that one last year that I, uh, I chased the coyotes off of. That was, that was an all day affair. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think I shot it at ten thirty and at ten in the morning, and found it around like eleven uh, fifteen at night. Yeah. So you ended up. You know, you, you hit this deer, you don't find it. Did you mm-hmm. go back to hunting right away the next day, the next day, the next day? Uh, not the next day because with gun season, you know, I was getting starting to get a little busier at work. So I didn't hunt that Tuesday. And, and you know, I'm just trying to work out a good schedule with my wife, too. So she's not waking up every morning and dealing with our, our son. So um, I'd been doing like every other day. So I, I scheduled that Monday off and then I took the Wednesday off. I hunted a totally different um, WMA that Wednesday. Uh, there's a spot that I thought was really cool looking that I, I wanted to try. and it, it didn't end up panning out. And uh, that was that, that Wednesday was the last day I had scheduled off. But I was looking at the weather and um, when I was approving my time that, that Friday, Excuse me. Um, I noticed I somehow I got a half a personal day that I had to take before the end of the year. So, you know, I asked my wife, I said, Hey, you know, this coming Tuesday, December seventh, I got half a personal day. Do you mind if I do another morning hunt? I'll be back here by twelve thirty. If I can clear it with work, you know, will that be okay? And she's like, Yeah, yeah, no problem. So I put that one in the books for, you know, Wednesday, December seventh. I mean t- excuse me, Tuesday, December seventh. And uh the, you know, it was similar conditions uh, to, to the gun opener, but I figured second week of shotgun season, um, and it's not going to be, it's not going to be that pressured. I mean, even on the opener, I only saw two, I only knew of two guys in the woods. I didn't hear a lot of shots that day. Um, in fact, I was there until three o'clock. I only heard the first four shots of that one guy, uh, who did end up harvesting a deer. Uh, another hunter told me he saw the buck. It was a nice buck. And then I saw another guy. So, I mean, I only heard four shots that weren't mine on, on the opener. So that was pretty good. Yeah. And then uh, on the on the 7th, so in Massachusetts, we're one of the few states where you can't hunt on Sundays. So there's no pressure on that Sunday. So that was, in, that was a plus. And then that Monday was like 65 degrees and 40-mile-per-hour winds. So that's like a twosome. Like nobody's going out in that. Yeah. Uh, it was just a horrible – I think it was like a southerly, southerly wind that was just coming up. I mean, tr- it was so windy the trees were falling over. So I'm looking at that, and I'm looking on that Tuesday that I took off, and it's a 20-degree weather uh, drop. Like yeah. it was going from 65 in the morning was going to be in the 20s. So I was like, all right, I've got to go out. This is, this is going to be a good deer movement day. So, uh, so I got that in the books, and, and, and that was the plan, was to go back to that same area because the wind was going to be good for that spot. And I'm like, even though I was trudging around in there searching for that deer the week before, yeah, I saw five deer out there. It, it's got tons of sign. I, I think it'll be okay. And if not, I'll bring those hip boots, and I'll cross that creek like I was going to do the week before you yeah. know, and just have it wrapped up by 1230, get back to work. So, so, uh, so that was the plan. Okay. So how far away did you end up set on, on December 7th? How far 
did you end up setting uh, setting up away from where you shot this buck the first time? Well, the goal was to be in the same tree. Okay. But um, because yeah, because of this tree, it's, it's it was a new tree. I've only you know I, I found it on like a, almost two weeks prior to this this day. Uh, so I didn't have I, I like to use those glow tacks, but on this area, I was like, oh, I don't want anybody knowing about this because when you look at it, it doesn't look with a naked eye like it's a great spot because all the when you're walking down this two track all of the, the businesses in front of you, like in the middle of the, of the creek bottom and all around there, it's not that great. So I didn't want to put any, any, uh, any tax to kind of tip my hand. So there was an old, old tree that dropped a ton of branches. So I was using that, like the branches were all over the two tracks. So I'm like, okay, when you reach these, these branches, bang right into the, from the two track into the woods and just kind of find the deer trail and just kind of slowly work your way and find that tree. Now on the gun opener, I had zero problems finding this tree. Like I went in there and, you know, usually I always have a problem if they're not tacked because I just can't, every tree looks like a tree half the time. And I, yeah. I just can't, I can't, I couldn't find it. So I turn off the two track, start kind of meandering my way through. And this, the, the, the night before, I mean, even that morning, the day before was really windy, so there was sticks everywhere, and it was cold, and it was hard not to step on a stick and make a, you know a bunch of noise. There was just crap everywhere that wasn't there the week before. So I'm trying to walk through there and be as quiet as possible, and I'm I'm, I'm feeling like I'm near the tree, and all of a sudden I hear and something scampers off, you know, through the woods. Now I had the wind in my favor. The, the the whatever ran off ran toward the southeast, like almost in the direction I came. So there's no way this thing could have cut my wind. So I thought that I was like, okay, if that was a deer, and I think it was, I'd be okay because it didn't catch my wind, it didn't blow, it only knew something was there, but it wasn't sure what. So I'm like, okay, and I'm still looking around. I'm like, all right, here's this gnarly pine tree. I know I set up in that tree near the gnarly pine tree. I'm like, okay. Here's this tree, and I go to take a step over like a sapling that had fallen down, and I hear just, it sounds like a buck just raking, just raking the hell out of this green briar, and then a big, like it stomped its feet. And I, uh, I stopped immediately, immediately in my tracks, and I look at my watch, and it's 5.10, and I think legal shooting light that day was 6.30. So there's a deer about 20 yards away from me and I have to stand like a statue with a shotgun in my hand, a climbing tree stand on my back, my backpack and all my gear, just all on me. And it's like super 20 mile per hour winds. I'm wearing like a pair of cotton, you know, yard work gloves because I didn't want to sweat up all my stuff. So I, I'm barely wearing anything on this cold day. I got like a sweatshirt, and a pair of pants, and all my warm weather gear is on my back. And I have to stand like a statue for an hour and a half because it's a deer right next to me. All right. So you're a little freaked out at this point. Um, <laughs> Just a bit. With the wind, you know, kind of covering some of the noise up, um, like, what did, what did you do then? Did you just stay there and wait till it got... Uh, wait till it got light or did you try to say, you know what? I'm screwed either way. I, I better just get to my stand. 
location. No, like I still didn't know where the tree was. Okay, so okay. I'm just like, yeah, I'm standing over a tree that had fallen, like a small sapling that had fallen down. I'm just standing right there because I know this deer is near where I need to get to. So I'm like, I yeah. can't do, I can't move. So I'm trying to ease some pressure up. Like so I had, you know, I had my gun in both hands. So I'm trying to turn it slowly without tipping my hand, you know, to, to let the so the deer doesn't know I'm there. So I'm trying to put it on the ground. So it's one less thing that I have to hold. And when I put the butt end of the gun, I'm trying to hold it by the tip of the barrel and, and put the butt end on the ground. I hear the slide work partially. And I was walking with uh, with the receiver open, and I just hear click, and I'm like, "Oh crap, that's going to come back to burn me because I'm going to need to load this thing." But now I'm going to have to open it, then put a shell in, and then rack it without this deer that's 20 feet away from me knowing I'm there. Yeah. And then uh, I've been having problems with my left arm because I heard it. Um, I think I heard it throwing my kid around, just like you know, roughhousing <laughs> with my son. So, I mean, and then the straps from this climbing stand are just digging into my shoulders. And I'm like, all right, I've got to find a way to drop this thing at this slowly, quietly, and without this deer hearing me. And as soon as, like, so I stopped at about 510. That's, what, that's when I stopped. And I think the wind stopped at about 515. And it just got calm, 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 calm. Like you could hear a pin drop. And I was like, what happened to this wind? How am I going to pull this off? So, you know, after about 30 minutes of this climber being on my back, I just ease it, ease it on down. And then I just hear, rake, 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 thump. And I'm like, and it's still, it's pretty dark. So I, I can't really see what's going on, but I know that deer is still close and I haven't, I haven't blown it yet. So um, about 10 minutes after I put the climber on the ground, I see something bright about 10 feet away from me, like just something white. And I realized it's the throat patch from the deer. The deer has just laid down 10 feet in front of me. And I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? But luckily its head was behind a tree. So I'm like, if I flinch, I don't think it will see me because I can't see its head. And I have always heard that if the deer can't see you, I mean, if you, so I thought I'd be, you know, in the clear, but this deer just kept doing these weird things. Like it would pick up its head and slam it down, almost like it was having a nightmare. Like it was, I, I, I kept thinking, I'm like, why is this deer bedding like this? Why is it lifting up its head and slamming it down? It, and then like flopping over on its back. It was the weirdest thing, like behavior wise. And and when it was dark, like I thought I looked and I'm like, oh, that deer's got a pretty decent rack on it. And uh, then as it kept getting lighter, I'm like, oh, I guess I was mistaken. It, it doesn't have antlers on it. And uh, I'm trying, I'm thinking about looking at my watch to see, you know, is it legal light? Should I move in? I mean, can I shoulder the gun while the deer is sleeping 10 feet in front of me? Can I pull this off without even having to get in the tree? And I'm looking and I'm looking, and as it kept getting lighter and closer to um, to day to to, uh, to legal light, like things began to add up, and they were adding up very strangely. Like I'm like, why is this deer behaving like this? Why why is it flopping around on the ground here? What 
I've never seen a deer lay down like outside of television, but I know they're not supposed to be doing this. And then as the sun started to kind of peek through it, it, you know, it wasn't sunrise yet, but it was, you know, getting into that, that real bright gray light. I looked and I could see where the deer was. And I know, you know, back when you were younger, you used to used to trap and I used to trap. And did you ever do any like predator trapping uh, or did you just do mostly water stuff? Yeah, it was mostly water stuff. Okay. Well, I mean, if, if anyone's familiar with trapping and, and you like you catch a fox or a coyote or a raccoon, anything on land, you know, they're in the trap and they kind of dig a big dirt circle around as they're, you yeah. know, they're trying to get away. So I look out from where this deer is and it's like a big dirt circle. And I think to myself, I'm like, you know what? This deer isn't bedding. It's, uh, it's, got, it's got like a broke. Yeah, exactly. It's got a broken leg. And I look and I can see like a little bit of blood on its hind leg. And I said, this thing can't get up. Yeah. So, you know, then uh, all the pretense of, of trying to be quiet and trying to be stealthy, I just look at it and I'm like, oh, buddy, I'm sorry. This will be over soon. So uh, I look at my watch and it was like 632 and it just turned to legal light. And I just kind of backed up 10 yards and took a shot. And, uh, and it, it was, it was down at six thirty, and I had to be to work in six hours. And I'm like, Oh, this is going to be a piece of cake. <laughs> so, so it gets daylight. You realize the buck wasn't there, like wasn't able to, I don't know. He, it, it was, he was hurt and the ethical side of you said, Hey, I got to put this deer out of his misery. Uh, you shoot it. You're going to be, and you thought to yourself, "Hey, I can. I'm. I'm going to make the best of this situation. Uh, I'm going to, you know, drag it back out of here." And so you walk up to the deer, and and what do you find? Yeah. So I'm um, looking at it, and it was not a doe. It was a buck. And in the struggle for it to get up, it knocked its antlers off. And they were some of this. I, I wanted to get the diameter of the bases. Uh, before before the conversation but I, I couldn't find my tape measure this uh, of all the bucks i've shot a, a couple of decent bucks uh, i don't know a damn thing about getting them scored or sized or anything but the bases on this thing were just um they're almost like one of the smaller gatorade bottle size like they, yeah. the bases on this thing were huge and it managed just to knock them clear off its own head uh so yeah i scooped those up and i i fastened them to my backpack and then uh, I said, oh, you know what? I have a gambrel in my car, so I could, I could just take it all out here and just quarter it up. Because um, the, the only time you need to check a deer hole in Massachusetts is the first week of shotgun season. And after that, you can just do it online. Yeah. Uh, so I'm like, oh, you know what? I could just, uh, I could just you know, butcher this up here, quarter it up, put it in my backpack, piece on out, get back to work. I'm like, well, you know what? In addition to that gamble in my car... I also have a deer cart, and this two track's not bad. I'll put it on the deer cart and uh, and pull it out of there. And and the way this is set up, it I I didn't know the deer like I've I've only taken one deer out on a cart before, and it was early in October and was in like a a really good hiking area with a real easy trail. I had no idea how <laughs> much. Like, a d- damn deer cart can't roll over a pencil without getting stuck. <laughs> and this whole area is just all branches. So I'm down at, at, the, at the edge of the water, and it's just the, the absolute lowest point of this WMA. So i got to get up one ridge, 
and then up to another ridge to get on like the easiest way to get it back to my car. So, you know, I walk back to the car, drag the cart, and it's about a mile and a half, at least a mile, if not a mile and a half, back to the car. But it's a real easy walk. So, I, you know, I go back to the car, get my butchering kit, get my cart, head on back down, drag the deer out. It's only about 20 yards um, to the two track. So it, was a, it, wasn't an e- it wasn't a tough drag to get it on the cart. And the deer ended up being, you know, where it was laying when I shot it was uh, about 10 feet from the tree I was trying to climb. It was right at the bottom of the tree, Yeah, which was just, was just crazy to me. So uh, I butcher it up. The thing's got, like, I've never seen a bladder on a deer this full. It was like some sort of wacky balloon just, like, pressed up against its pelvis. So I butcher, I, you know, I, I, I gut it all out. I go to put it, you know, I go to cut the pelvis, and I nick the thing with my little bone saw. Just piss starts going everywhere. I'm freaking out. I'm trying to, like, wipe off the meat because I've always heard that wives' tale that if you get, you know, urine on the, the deer, it's our, that the meat's ruined. So I'm freaking out. I cut the leg off at the, uh, at the ball joint, and I just kind of, like, throw it on the back of my backpack. So now I'm, I'm, uh, I'm fastening a deer with a, a big chunk taken out of its butt from a coyote through its own antlers and is now missing a leg strapped to this deer cart and i start going like along the water up to the first ridge and like i'm going over these small sticks and it's just busting my ass and i can't drag the cart i have to push the cart and the gloves i have are just like these cheapo just cotton gloves and i'm just smashing my hands they're all getting bruised to hell from pushing this up this hill so i push it up this small hill and it took almost all the energy i could muster to get it up just like this small hill up to the first kind of like a field area and then i have to get it up this very steep hill and i've taken two deer up that steep hill in a sled but both times the, the, the hill was covered in snow and it sucked but, you know, getting it up the snow in a sled is not a big deal. But this cart, there's no way I was going to get this cart up that hill. So then I'm thinking, I'm like, all right, I guess I could push it along this flat ground. It's three times as long, but it's flat. So I started just dragging it and, you know, just pushing this cart, pushing this cart. And I'm just, um, I passed by one of my, my hang-on stands that I had. And I'm thinking, I'm like, I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to push this deer as far as I can and then go back to my car, drive the car two ta- through two towns to the other end of this WMA uh, and to, to, to load it out this way. And I'm going through that. And I'm like, and to do this properly, I have to cut through some dude's yard. And the dude's kind of a hardo, and he hates hunters going through his property. So I'm like, I'll just send the guy like a gift card to Dunkin' Donuts and be like, sorry, I trespassed through your land. It won't happen again. So I'm like, all right, that's, that's going to be the plan. So I push this deer as far as I can. I pass by one of my hang-on tree stands, take the lock off that hang-on tree stand so I can lock the deer up to a tree so no hunter walks off of my deer. I get my car and go through. And as I'm going through to get to the other entrance to this WMA, the road's closed off by the town. I guess like some beavers got in there and flooded out the road. So I had to stop a quarter mile before the gate to the WMA and walk in. So I'm there, I'm in clothes covered in blood from you know, this, this pushing this deer out on the cart. The town guys are looking at me like I'm a murderer. And he's like, 
what are you doing, buddy? And I'm like, I, I got to go get a deer. Can I drive through here? What's going on? And like the guys were super accommodating. And as I'm walking through, another guy pulls up in uh, in a truck and he goes, hey, are, are you the beaver trapper? I said, no, no, I'm just going in there to pick up a, a deer. He's just like, ah, oh, these damn beavers are flooding out my property. Uh, and they're, they're hiring a trapper. I thought you might be him. And it was that landowner who's the super hardo. Yeah. I, like, I had never met the guy before. He just happened to pull up alongside my car. And I'm like, hey, I hate to ask you this because I know you don't like people going through your yard. But I just shot this deer, and I, I'm busting my ass trying to get it up this hill. Do you mind if I just pull it out through your property? And he's like, buddy, I don't care. Whoa, <laughs> so, so, you got, so you got to save some time on this drag. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, awesome. I would have done it anyway, but <laughs> and then apologize later. But uh, yeah, to but, all uh, the uh, to all the listeners out there, I do not recommend what uh, you did. <laughs> don't. No, no, I don't either. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the deer, but the deer wasn't quite on his property yet. It was close to it. Right. But, you know, I I would have done it, and then I would have written him a letter and apologized. But uh, yeah, I don't recommend that either. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but that was but you know I. I the world could tell I felt bad about it, so yep. they sent the landowner to my car while I was in the process of going to get the deer. Awesome, and uh, so and it was really cool. So yeah, um, so, so you, uh, you were able yeah, to I, save some time on the on the actual recovery, right? So yeah, yep. when did you realize? Because I'm, I'm looking at your email. When did you realize that this was the deer that you shot previously on the 29th? I mean. I'm not 100% certain, but I just do remember, you know, when I looked through the scope and I saw that deer's antlers, like I looked and they looked like they looked remarkably similar. Yeah. I don't think, I don't know for a fact that it's the same deer. Oh, okay. But gotcha. I mean, but the, that's, that's a pretty crazy coincidence. Yeah. I don't know. I yeah. mean, it just feels like it is like, yeah. I don't know. I got you. I don't man. know. I mean, yeah. Did you know, praying on it? Did they send it? The, you know, did the good Lord send the deer back to me? I don't know. Uh-huh. You know how you, you say you close the show saying good thoughts in good thoughts out. Yep. I'd like to think that that's along those lines, man. Yeah. I mean, I felt horrible that I had, that I had wounded that deer. And then a week later, did it come back to me? I like to think yes. Yeah. And I was able to put that deer down and, and, and not have it suffer. I mean, that's, that's the way, that's the way I like to look at it. Yeah. Not a hundred percent, but that's what, that's what I'm feeling. Yeah. Well, Hey man, I'll tell you what, as we close this uh, episode out, congratulations. Um, it, the, the story's cool because it has a little bit of everything, right? It's got the, yeah. it's got the, the highs, it got the lows, it's got the learning experiences. It's, it's got the, uh, I guess you want to call it fate. Right. Where, you know, you you met the landowner, uh, you know, hell, maybe now what you can do is talk to that landowner and say, hey, listen, do you mind if I walk through your property to backdoor this place and stay away from all of the other hunters? Yeah, I sent him a letter before, but, you know, with a, you know, self-addressed stamped envelope. I'm I'm like, listen, I'm not going to hunt. I just want to walk through there. Yeah. And uh, I I think he just kind of threw that in the old circular file. But maybe... Because I have bumped into him again since. Um, I had to leave my, my deer cart out there to um, 
because it wouldn't fit in the tr- in the car with the deer. So uh, when I went back, he was out there again. He's like, "Don't tell me you got another one." <laughs> I said, I wish. Well, I tell you what, man. Uh, I really appreciate you uh, taking time out of your day. Uh, congratulations on this on this uh, buck and uh, crazy story. His antlers popped off. Um, are you going to try to like fix them or and get them mounted or or what's the story with that? I think I'm just going to do, you know, they sell those kits with like the kind of like the velvet shield. They've got the wood plaque with yep. the velvet shield. Yep. Um, because I looked at, you know, I sent, I did end up sending the deer to get uh, to my processor. And uh, he just kind of lumped everything back to like all the, uh, he doesn't throw out like all the fat and the hide and all that stuff. He like gives you the bag of bones back and says, yeah, hey, you deal with it. Yeah. So um, I, I thought about doing it, but I, the only thing I can think of if I put them back on the head, that they'd look total wabajaw and it would look yeah. terrible. So I'm just going to get one of those plaques. But I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to hang up because there's a nice, they're a nice set of antlers. Yeah, with a, a crazy story be behind it. Point to those and be exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, Jay Hale, man from Massachusetts, congrats on uh, a great deer, great story, great experience, and uh, thanks for your time. Thanks anytime, Dan. Thank you so much for doing Sportsman's Nation, man. I listen to every single podcast, even the type of hunting I don't do. Um, it's just it's such a wealth of knowledge and, and such a such a great great network of uh, of interesting stories from all across the country. You do such a great job, uh, and I just want to say thank you for all that. Appreciate that. And there's your episode, everybody. Huge shout out to Jay. Huge shout out to all of you. Huge shout out to Hunt Stand, Lone Wolf, Wasp, Ozonics, Vortex, Exodus, and Excalibur. Uh, please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Please follow along on Instagram or Facebook. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast. Go leave a five-star review. Good vibes in, good vibes out, and we will talk to you next time. Thank you.